I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Dirk with the back. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead and joining me. Friend of the show. I've done Locked On NBA with him a couple times, four or five times, I think. He's from the Washington Post and the Open Floor Podcast. Ben Golliver, what you got for me? Not too much, Nick. I feel like we are the uh, we're the emergency podcast duo. <laughs> when something really hits the fan, that's when we have to team up. Like the NBA gets shut down, or some just like crazy, um, you know, turn of events. But today we get to have uh, you know a pretty fun talk. That would be the the playoff preview, right? I mean, this is. As good as it gets, we've been waiting months and months and months for the playoffs to, to get here and um, to really matter. And I think for your listeners, they've been waiting years to get back into the playoff mix and uh, you know get their shot at some postseason glory. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be talking about this topic, even though it's it's a little bit of a daunting topic for the Mavericks, you know, playing the Clippers, one of the teams that people think are potentially the best team in the NBA, probably a title favorite for a lot of people. But at least the NBA is not getting shut down. There's not some scandal to talk about. It's, it just seems like anytime you and I do locked in NBA, like you said, there's just something something crazy going on <laughs> in the NBA. So uh, I just listened to you on the open floor. You predicted Clippers in five. How have you has your confidence wavered on that at all? It really has. And I mean, I think that's, you know, I'm sure the conventional wisdom will probably come in around Clippers in five or Clippers in six. You know, I, I can never perfectly handicap this thing. I just think for context, it's important. If you go back to the regular season matchup, the, Cl- the Clippers took care of business there. If you actually look in the bubble, there was three teams who were top 10 on offense and top 10 on defense in the bubble. Um, and that was Phoenix, who's already been eliminated, Boston and the Clippers, right? So the Clippers have had their balance. Now, I think their record in the bubble was five and three. It was pretty darn close to being seven and one. I mean, they, they easily could have won opening night against the Lakers. They kind of had a brain fart from Kawhi Leonard. And then uh, Devin Booker hit that crazy game winner to beat them in the final minute. Again, if Kawhi Leonard plays that better defensively, you know, maybe they win that game. So I think not to say that they're a, a juggernaut super team, you know, like the Warriors from a few years ago. But I do think that they deserve to have the favorite um, tag placed upon them when you're looking at who could win the title. Um, I still think the overall top tier is is Clippers, Lakers, and Bucks. I picked the Clippers before the season. I'm still feeling pretty good about it. I mean, I think when you're looking at the rankings, like regular season, this should be an awesome series because Dallas was one offensively, Clippers were two, and that tells you there could be some fireworks offensively. Luke has been great in the bubble. Um, that's obviously a promising development. But I think the big difference is the Clippers do have that elite defense. Dallas is sort of mediocre at best, and in the bubble it's been – um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty careless or just, you know, negligent, not necessarily their top priority. It seems like they want to just get sh- into shootouts every single night. So I think that's where most of the talk will go. Does Dallas have enough defense to slow the Clippers down? I'm not sure they do. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm right there with you. I've been saying I think it's going to be Clippers in five as well. You mentioned Luca's play in the bubble. He was voted first team all bubble. He was also fourth on the player of the bubble ballots. Uh, and then Porzingis was second team all bubble. Did you vote on these awards and do they mean anything to you? So I did not vote officially on them. Uh, I would have voted both those exact same things, actually. Um, we At the Post, we have a, like an ethics policy about not voting on awards. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of old school. I, I sometimes wish I could vote because I voted for years and it's just a real fun exercise. But Luca absolutely de- de- deserved to be on there. 
it's funny. I think he got overshadowed a little bit just because Damian Lillard overshadowed everyone. And because Booker and the Suns were such a crazy story going, you know, eight and oh, which no one really saw coming. Luca was sensational in the bubble. I mean, his game against Milwaukee was one of the best individual performances I saw all season, right up there with almost any of them, including the Lillard performances the same week. Um, just a mastery of the passing, the orchestration. Um, you know, he's been a little bit, uh, you know, fritzy at times late in games. You know, he, he tends to seek out like the most difficult possible shots in certain moments. And it, it drives me a little bit crazy <laughs> in that too. game, though. He, he was so locked into that game, though. Right. I mean, he was making really good decisions, creating good shots for himself and his teammates. And it was like, oh, man, like that's a reminder. This guy's only 21. And if he starts to have that level of mastery and control and composure late in games, you know, a year or two down the road, this team is going to be sick. I mean, really good. And then the Porzingis factor, just briefly. I mean, yeah, he was shooting the, the lights out um, and looking very comfortable, confident, moving well, too. You know, no real signs I saw um, of injury issues. I think the questions there are, you know, is he going to wind up getting blamed if their defensive woes continue? Are people going to start pointing fingers that direction? Who knows? Um, you know, he, he was in a, a tough spot there trying to guard Lillard in that game where he's just getting the you know, shots taken right over the top of him on the three-point line over and over and over again. Uh, but uh, I think a lot of positives to take away and deserving selections uh, for those bubble awards. Well, I should mention, by the way, that, that Ben Golliver is in the bubble right now. You're, you're still there. You're staying through the finals. That's right. I am uh, one month down, two months to go about. It's a little <laughs> bit more than a month. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a, a long run. We're actually seeing some people switch out. Um, you know, some outlets have oh, yeah. uh, their, their second wave of reporters coming through. Uh, there are no reinforcements coming for me. I'm I'm on this hill by myself, so we'll see how it goes. You're uh, Washington posting up inside the the bubble right now. Just oh, just, exactly <laughs> right. Well, I, look, I'm getting called for more than a couple three second violations. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, how many Mavericks games have you seen in person? And is there anything that you can you can uh, give us that's you know something that we wouldn't see on TV or on the broadcast that you've seen from this Mavericks team? The way that they look has the chemistry been you know translating from we've seen all this fun you know Mavs bubble content. Is it, do you see, does it seem to be translating on the court? Does it seem to be translating in the, in the huddles and things like that? What have you seen that's, that's maybe different? So I've probably seen three or four of their games just because I tend to like fixate on certain players and then follow them around. And like once the Pelicans started to fall off, I was like, all right, well, I need to replace this Zion hole in my life. So we're just <laughs> going to go straight to Luca and he's going to be the guy who's going to do it for me. Um, their, their overall mood is happy. They like each other. They're glad to be here. And we can't say that about every team. I mean, the Pelicans crash land out of this thing. Uh, you look at the Sixers, you know, guys kind of getting injured left and right. I mean, there's some other teams here who just, they look like they're going through the motions. And I expected that, to be honest. I really did think that this whole bubble thing was going to just be a chemistry test in terms of, you know, do your guys like each other? Are they willing to spend a lot of time around each other? I don't think it's a coincidence that Portland got the eighth seed because they have an excellent team chemistry. They're all on the same page, kind of paddling together. And I think that was a, the difference in a lot of those close games. But for Dallas, what stood out more than anything is Luca's joy. You know, I, I saw him play uh, at least once down in Dallas this year. And it's just a different environment where there's not the fans. I mean, you it is really like everything is self-generated in terms of um, chemistry and just energy and you know a lot of teams come come out flat here just because it is a, an empty building and there's nobody cheering and for Luca like he just takes the court like he's a puppy every night you know <laughs> he's just so excited to play like there was this great moment before that Milwaukee game where Luca comes bounding towards center court and Giannis is standing there and Giannis gets into like sort of uh, you know rage mode before the games you know he's locked he's in he's like in a full sweat phase. yeah <laughs> 
Right. And like, he's just, you know, completely like he gets that Jordan, like kind of killer look to his eyes. And here comes Luca, giant smile on his face, <laughs> wants to come up and like say hi to Giannis. And Giannis like gave him a little uh, handshake, but he was not expecting it. It was just this great contrast of superstar personalities. So I'd say that's probably what stood out more than anything. Also, I think the teams that have had a lot of success with their offenses here, that winds up being infectious, right? And I, that's sort of the whole point of Dallas' system, right? Everybody gets to be involved. Everybody's a shooting threat. Everybody's a scoring threat. The ball is supposed to move. Luka does a lot of the heavy lifting, but this is sort of a five-man attack, and that's why they're so efficient on the season because there's not really any weak links out there. And I think for the bubble play-in round, that was like a really defining characteristic. A lot of the teams that had excellent offenses had a lot of fun. Their guys were happy. And what I'm really kind of curious here now that the playoffs are starting, is there a flip switch, right? Are the teams that are like elite defenses, do they crank it way up? And the Clippers would be in this category. Like, are they going to be able to kind of spoil the party a little bit? I would say the Lakers are another one in that category where they were pretty lackadaisical through the, the, um, the restart regular season. Do they crank it up with their defense and maybe throw a wrench in some of these offensive teams' plans? I think that's one of the biggest storylines to watch this week. Like, do the Clippers and Lakers, these teams that we know can play really high-level defense, and Milwaukee too, by the way, do they just come out and look like a totally different team than they did the last two weeks? I think it's possible. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Coming up, I want to get into more about that, flipping the switch for the Clippers, talk more about the Mavs-Clippers playoff matchup. Coming up with Ben, coming up. All right, Ben, you mentioned before about the Clippers flipping a switch, and the Clippers are the absolute worst matchup for the Mavericks in the, in the first round or any time <laughs> during this playoff run. Uh, they're the only Western playoffs team that the Mavericks didn't get a win against in the regular season. They went 0-3 against them. Uh, you talked about the Clippers flipping a switch before. Is that just upping it on defense? Is there something else you think this Clippers team can do? They're finally all pieced back together injury-wise. They've sort of been this sleeping giant where all their players have been all over the place in different places. Some of them uh, were home, and Montrose Harrell didn't even play this whole bubble. Lou Williams did his Magic City thing. Uh, Patrick Beverly's been injured. He hasn't played for like 13 days, I think, coming Monday. Uh, Like Even Kawhi and Paul George have only played in 51% of their games together, the Clippers games, and so it just feels like this team has been so disjointed. Are they finally going to put it together and flip a switch, and what does that mean? Well, yeah, I think the the biggest difference is they're going to be able to play their best lineups. Their best lineups have played zero minutes together since March, right? Because they hadn't, they didn't have Harrell and, and Harrell plus, you know, four perimeter wing guys is a really versatile, tough look for just about every team. His energy kind of just handles things in the middle and then it just lets the wings kind of go crazy. You know, it's funny you mentioned about like the worst matchup for Dallas. So uh, last summer, at Summer League, I was talking to an executive who it was it was like in the the days after the Rockets had swung that big uh, blockbuster for Westbrook and you know the Clippers put their team together. And I think the comment was something like, you know, the Rockets spent years trying to be a team that could take down the Warriors and the Clippers just built a team that could take down the Rockets in like 72 hours by getting both <laughs> Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like that was the and maybe the Warriors, too. They could have probably beat that team. Right. But the idea was that, okay, here's this like loaded up perimeter defensive team that can like really screw with Houston's perimeter attack. Right. And I think that same lesson kind of applies with Dallas, too. I mean, everybody wants to make the Luka and Harden comparisons, and there are definitely some aspects that are similar and and some differences. But ultimately, like, if you are trying to game plan against Luka, you would love to have two all-defense-level perimeter guys. You would love to have a ball-hounding guy who could just be, you know, bothersome with Patrick Beverly. You would love to have a bunch of interchangeable twos and threes and even fours who can, you know, track Porzingis out to the perimeter, at least get a hand up and... and, uh, you know, uh, contest his shots. 
And you would be worried about a team that can really effectively switch everything anytime they need to, right? And that's exactly what the Clippers are doing. So again, it's not about the Clippers. Their game plan isn't going to be like, oh, we're going to shut down Luka and take him away. It's going to be, we just need to bring Dallas's offense back to earth slightly and then take advantage of their defense on the other end. I think that's pretty much what the Clippers game plan is. Yeah, and during the regular season, before they had, you know, quote-unquote flipped the switch or whatever, in the three games they played against the Mavericks, they held them to 106 offensive rating. The Mavericks have like 115.9 offensive rating, which is one of the best in NBA history. Uh, They're one of the few teams that held the Mavericks under 110 offensive rating, Uh, one of them being the Knicks, which is hilarious, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Raptors, and then the Clippers, Spurs, and Suns were the only teams to hold the Mavericks under 110. And now we're talking about this team that's going to flip a switch and and get even better defensively, which I think they can be. Uh, Porzingis, I believe, is the X factor in this series. I mean, he's the one that can score over the top of some of these guys. I think he has to be 35 to 40 points a game if if the Mavericks want a chance to win this series. So did you read that article my buddy Michael Pina wrote about all the Knicks fans um, watching Porzingis and just having their hearts broken all over again during the bubble? Did did you happen to see that? Did he write it on my mentions every single time Porzingis (laughs) has a good game? Because it just seems like every time there's there's Knicks fans that come out of the woodwork and it's like, he's not this, you guys are blah, 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 this is fool's gold, all this. I mean, man. It was so funny. Um, No, I mean, he had a couple of just really good games. I'm curious what you thought about his play in the bubble because – you know, it was kind of hit or miss during the regular season, right? It wasn't like A-plus from him. And I think people were relatively modest with their expectations coming into this season just because of all the time off. I thought he looked really comfortable in the bubble and confident shooting the ball. Uh, his stroke looks good. And, you know, he's, you know, at certain times demanding the ball too, which you like to see because you do want him to be a star-level guy. You don't want him to settle into a situation where it's just like, all right, I'm part of this cast that defers to Luka. And I don't think he's ever viewed himself that way. I've always gotten the impression from Porzingis, even when he was like 18 years old at Summer League, that he viewed himself as like he was going to be a future star, right? Like a big time NBA figure. Uh, His career gets taken sideways by the injury, but I do still feel like he has a little bit of that mentality. I think that's healthy, and that, that's kind of what I saw here in, in the bubble. But uh, you know, what have you made of his play? Oh, absolutely! I think that one of the one of the big encouraging things for me about Porzingis in the bubble was the fact that he took. He took it upon himself to be, I'm the, the number two option when Luca's in, and I'm going to you know accept that. And I'm also, but I'm the number one option when Luca's off the floor, and I'm going to take advantage. I'm going to score a whole bunch. I'm going to demand the ball, like he said, and take advantage when Luca's off the floor, because that's me. This is my spot in the team, and really has accepted his role. Coming over, Luca is the best player he's ever played with. I mean, learning how to play with somebody like that. Uh, functionally, you know, it works super well. I mean, they fit so well where he can just be a pick and pop, maybe sometimes pick and roll guy. And that works for him well. But learning how to defer and when to, you know, demand the ball, when to, you know, um, you know, be the number one, when to, you know, do all, all these different things that he's used to, to doing in, in New York. Uh, he really it took him a while to figure that out. I think he's really started to do that right before the season ended. We were so excited because Luca and Porzingis were playing some of their best games together. I mean, they were, you know, scoring like 60 points a night together. And uh, that's been super encouraging. He also, I mean, he was still just coming back from injury. He, he sat out for 20 months. So beginning of the season, we were seeing him sort of ramp back up. And now it seems like he's, you know, at least now picked it back up where he left off at the end of the season. Uh, and the thing about Porzingis is, it was such good timing that the Mavericks already had Luka and brought in Porzingis instead of the opposite way around because I think there was a chance that 
if they had Porzingis before and brought in Luka as the number one, there could be some friction there because Porzingis would say, oh, this is my team. And all of a sudden now you're bringing this guy in. I think that dynamic was super important too. something that we don't talk about enough. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, the other aspect of that, though, is just like Luca is so freaking good. <laughs> Such like, a number one. <laughs> the, yeah. Do you remember in the last dance where they were like talking about Jordan showing up and he was like all quiet his rookie year? And then it was like, yeah, within two weeks, he had just established himself as the best player on the team. And he never really had to say anything. He just like did it on the court. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, now we're like Mike's team. And like a bunch of those guys got traded over the next like year or two <laughs> because it was just like an instantaneous takeover. So I thought there was a little bit of like whose team is it last year with the Mavericks because, you know, there was just questions. Is he going to be able to translate? You know, and his body wasn't great and everything his rookie year, but it was clear like the talent was there. It seemed to me like almost from day one of training camp this year, it was just like it was that same last dance vibe of like, oh, yeah, Lucas showed up. By the way, now he's like a top 10 player in the league. Everybody else has to get in around him. And that's just the deal. So, I mean. I think that their pecking order is like the cleanest of almost any team. Like if you compare them to the Pelicans, right? And like, is it Zion's team? Yeah. Ingram's the all-star. Like Zion's obviously like the the hype beast in terms of, you know, who really uh, is, is getting the attention. Um, that needs to be sorted out. You know, you look at some of these other ones with like Ja and Jaron. I mean, you know, Jaron was there first, but now that's definitely Ja's team. So I think Jaron's got the personality to adjust to that and he'll be fine there. But that's a little bit of a transition, right? You can go through some other situations with younger guys. I just think with Dallas, like Luca just killed all those questions just by being ridiculously good. And it's just like, all right, that's Luca's team. <laughs> right. And, you know, part of that's influenced by, you know, like when I was down in Dallas this year, it's just every single promotional item has Luca's face on it. Every poster has the 77 jersey. Like, I just think that they've done a really nice job of cultivating what they've got. And look, they have experience doing it, right? I mean, 41 made that pretty simple for a long time, and uh, they know the blueprint there. And so I think uh, I think they're going forward with really without those kinds of questions. And I think there is enough room for Porzingis to get his too. I mean, especially when you're in a high-scoring offense, you know, ultimately a number two guy wants the ability to average what 22, 23 points, uh, you know, and and feel like he's a star, feel like he's getting recognition, you know. And if if Dallas say next year is like a top four seed. There's a chance that he makes an all-star team, right, with, with the with the right numbers and the right amount of winning. So I think the 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 table is set really well for Porzingis as well. But I think that you know it's it's the Lucas show, man. It's so clear. Uh, you know, every time he takes the court, I love it. Absolutely. And when the first year you had, you know, this sounds really hilarious looking back, but it was you know kind of going to be Dennis Smith Jr.'s team. He was set up to know. You know, win as best <laughs> as possible. And he was actually, I mean, he was playing really well his rookie year, and a lot of us had a lot of hope for him. And then Luca comes in, and he just absolutely takes it away from Dennis. And uh, it was Harrison Barnes' team even before Dennis, right, where Harrison Barnes was the number one option. He was the guy that came in and kind of helped the Mavericks after all this you know, stuff happened. The Mavericks started missing the playoffs. Dirk was aging. And uh, all those guys got traded right? that, on that trade deadline, right? That trade deadline right when they got Porzingis. They tr- also traded Harrison Barnes for Justin Jackson and nothing. Zach Randolph was in the trade for like a minute. And uh, and then all of a sudden now Luca is the number one. He got the blessing from Dirk, right? That's that's all you need. He got the blessing from Dirk, and then now this year, this team has very few veteran players, which I think is going to be in their detriment in the playoffs. And JJ Barea has been, you know, the the one real constant veteran that's been on this team, and he has the blessing. You know, he has given Luca his blessing as well. So he's talked about him as one of the top five players in the NBA, and you know everything has to revolve around him. And he's been saying all the right things as well. So. It's really worked out super well for this for this transition. I mean, going from Dirk to Lucas is absolutely incredible and how seamless it's been. It's just been been awesome. But I want to get 
into this Mavericks Clippers matchup a little bit more. See if there's any hope. We'll talk to Ben about this coming up. All right, Ben. We've talked about Mavs Clippers. We both think that the Mavericks are probably going to get at least one game in this series, but probably not any more than that. What's the hope for the Mavericks? Is there, you know, is there something where something could go wrong for the Clippers? Could their chemistry, could their injuries, could could something go wrong for the Clippers where the Mavericks maybe sneak a couple more games and maybe even win this? Well, so first thing, just to, to rewind, I think the technical term from going from Harrison Barnes's team to Luka Doncic's team is called a glow up. I'm pretty sure I've read that on the internet. That's what young people call it. Is it a glow? Um, is it a glow down from Harrison Barnes to Dennis back to Luka? Like, did, did, yeah, there's it was a glow, a glow dip. down, and then just a glow explosion. I think is is maybe what happened. But look, <laughs> to answer your question, can things go wrong for the Clippers? Um, it's one of the most cursed franchises in sports, so something can always go wrong for the Clippers, right? And like they hate to have that baggage because this is like a new organization with Balmer and he's transformed everything. I mean, just basically running in like a Fortune 500 company where they just have the best of everything, right? So um, they are not the same team they were five or six years ago, but they've had plenty of foibles in the postseason. They've had plenty of, um, you know, first round injuries. You know, you go back to even like Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, entire series changing because guys have gotten injured there. Now, again, this is an independent team playing in, uh, you know, a bubble, but they have plenty of guys who've had injury issues this season. Kawhi Leonard has, has been on the injury management program. Paul George has been, uh, you know, limited at various points because of the shoulder surgeries and other injuries. Landry Shamit missed a month or more with a high ankle sprain. That kind of kept him out of being in the mix for, you know, really building like chemistry with some of their late game lineups. Patrick Beverly's got a, a calf issue, I believe, that, that kept him out of some of the time. Um, here in the bubble and you know the list goes on so they've got plenty of pieces who are important that just change their dynamic if those guys aren't out there and uh, I think that there's an accumulation effect too where like you know they kind of got sick at times of not having their full complement of guys during the regular season it just felt like kind of a revolving door if Kawhi would sit a game for load management some of the other guys who are playing every night were kind of looking around saying like what are we doing here like are we ever going to really be able to you know be a team and put this together I guess my point is the Clippers have taken all season long a very patient approach, and their whole plan was for when the playoffs start, they're going to be ready 100%. Everyone's going to be healthy. And if you look at their roster right now, that's not exactly it, right? Harrell hasn't played in months. Uh, Beverly has been out. Um, and, and so you know they, they still have those kinds of lingering questions. At the same time, I, I think that they've been smart about it. They have kept the minutes and the burden off of their stars. I think that's going to be helpful during this playoff run. And I think that they're excited about the possibility of being on the side of a bracket where you've got Dallas, Utah, and uh, Denver. I think that's just an easier side of the bracket than what the Lakers got. So I think big picture, they're feeling great about their grandmaster plan. But again, we've seen their plans go up and smoke time and again because Blake Griffin gets injured in the first round or Chris Paul has a meltdown that nobody expects against the Thunder uh, and various unpredictable events. So I guess if you're, you're Carlisle, your message is, uh, you know, these guys are really good. This is an excellent team that we're going against. But, um, you know, don't keep your head in it. You know, don't don't psych yourself out because there have been other teams who have upset this uh, Clippers organization uh, even over the last five years in the playoffs. Yeah, that's the hope. The Clippers curse continues, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's the hope that the Mavericks have, I think, is that if something terrible goes wrong for the Clippers, then that's where the Mavericks can come in. Uh, is it? 
if the Clippers absolutely smoke the Mavericks, so let's say they even win, let's say they even sweep the Mavericks, uh, is that is there any sense that that could be a positive for a young team like this with their first taste of the playoffs? You know, saying, "Wow, that's how an NBA team comes in and wins. That's what we have to do. That's the level we have to get to." Do you see that as a positive, or do you think that that's just, you know, they get smoked and they just need to up their game, and you know, it just is. It sucks, <laughs> right? Well, I, yeah. No, I always go back to what preseason expectations were. And I didn't necessarily think Dallas was a, a playoff team coming into the year. And I, I, I actually picked Luka as most improved player, but I didn't necessarily think he was going to be like a top five playmaker by the time the season was over. I definitely didn't think that. So I personally, I think you guys are playing with house money. Like even if you w- went out there and lost all four games by 20 points, I would still view the season as a success. Now, I know expectations for fans change over the course of a year, as you start to see this stuff, you know, or night in and night out or yeah, or a week or by the, or by the <laughs> quarter or by the half, right. Yes. When you get into some of those fourth quarter situations and you're like the, the world's falling apart. Uh, but to me, big picture, they, they're playing with house money. I think what you really want to see is Luca having success to some meaningful level against an elite defense in the playoffs. If you check that box, you know, if he's able to kind of get the, keep the offense going, even if it's just for a game or two, or maybe he has one big signature performance. I think to me that counts as the biggest win because that whole franchise is going to be defined by him for the next 10 years. He's going to need to show he can transition his game into the playoffs. Every big time playmaker has to do that. LeBron, Harden, all these guys, they, they go through that process when they're 21, 22 years old, answering those questions of like, okay, are you going to be a playoff player? And, you know, usually the answer is pretty much always yes for, for the lead guys, but you just want to see it first. And I think that's really you know, the takeaway for Dallas here is a first look at playoff Luka. Can he do it against a, t- a defense that is going to test him? What does it look like? And then what aspects of his game does he maybe need to tighten up, um, you know, once once he gets a taste of that pressure? I mean, we could easily be sitting here in two weeks and say, well, look, Luka's got to work on his decision making. Too many turnovers in key moments. Like that could be a main takeaway. Or we could say he's got to tighten up that step back three. If he doesn't have that shot in the playoffs, you know, he's going to struggle uh, to do all this stuff going to the basket, maybe that we have seen during the regular season. I mean, those are the kinds of questions we might get into um, after two weeks. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to forecast too much here, but I, I think that those are some of the things that we could be discussing. But ultimately, we're going to want to see it on the court. And uh, I wouldn't say see any situation or envision any situation where it's like the sky is falling for the Mavericks after this. I think you're, uh, you guys are in a good spot. It is a good spot. I know that the sky will be falling for fans, even if they win, even if the Mavs win one game. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way it's going to be with those expectations you're talking about. But Ben Golliver, it was great to hear from you. Thank you for joining us and talking from the bubble. Uh, everyone can find him in the Washington Post on the Open Floor Podcast. We'll put a link in the description for his Twitter if you're not following him. Uh, and Ben, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Take care and uh, you know, good luck this week. I think it's going to be kind of a crazy week. Uh, almost too much basketball to keep track of, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Guys, thanks so much for listening to Lockdown Maps. Peace out. Boom. Boom.